You are listening to the Music Mondays with Mazement podcast. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. For more information, go to musicmondayspodcast.com. In this episode, we are going to get into some of the latest news, like Snoop Dogg co-founding a children's YouTube channel, the American Music Fairness Act, and much more. We're also going to get into a new artist on call with Brewster Moonface from New York. Here it is, an all-new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Music Mondays with Mazement podcast. I am your host, Mazement, Mazement, Mazement. And as stated, this is a very exciting episode. To get it started off, here's a fact Music Mondays, music facts. The largest record company by revenue market share as of 2020 was Universal Music Group, with independent record labels only falling behind by point. 7%. Music Monday's music phone. Like he hasn't done enough, Snoop Dogg is back at it again. He is starting a YouTube channel. This channel is aimed to help kids learn social and emotional skills. He's even the main character in the series Doggy Land filled with kids songs and nursery rhymes. He's going to be the main character. I think his name is Bow Wizzle. Sounds like a must-see. It's pretty entertaining. Check it out. The Music Fairness Act is now in play. The American Music Fairness Act, mainly for terrestrial radio. Um, Basically, radio stations have to pay royalties to any artist, whatever now, that they play. If it's a radio station that doesn't get the $1.5 million income or have a parent company with a $10 million income plus, they are only going to have to pay a fee that's like less than $500 a year. I think it might be around three or 400 a year. And that money will contribute to musicians that they play throughout the year uh, in royalty form. I love it. I mean, I feel like it could be better. It could be more enforced. Certain things could happen, but it's a step in the right direction. I want to see more of this. Like these streaming platforms aren't paying artists enough. We've been over it in the past episodes Maybe this will be a step in the right direction to push the streaming platforms to pay the artists more as well. We'll find out. Which leads me in to TikTok music. The founding company of TikTok, I think it's ByteDance, filed a patent for TikTok music. Now, what does that say? They're probably coming out with a streaming platform. That's the only thing that makes sense to me and anybody else that researched this whole thing. They haven't announced anything, nothing set in stone. But that sounds like what's going to happen. So TikTok music is going to come in. They might even acquire, you know, a Spotify or something like you never know. Something might something big might happen to the music platforms. I think it's a great thing. TikTok has been great for musicians up to this point. Great musicians have been able to make it on there just by, you know, putting one song on there and having it go viral. And horrible songs have made it viral on there as well. But it's a it's home to a lot of great music and talent and i absolutely love the collaboration it has obviously and everything else and i hope it just continues to promote the fairness to the artist that tiktok has done in the past i brought him up a few times on this podcast in the past but there was a tribute concert for the late great taylor hawkins drummer of the foo fighters and a few other you know side projects The memorial took place in the UK. There's going to be another one in the US and LA as well. Um, Might have already happened by the time you listen to this. But either way, the one reason I wanted to bring this up was everybody held it together really well. I mean, I can't get over the feeling of what this band must have felt up on stage without their guy Taylor up there. But the best part for me, spoiler alert, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the tribute yet, Fast forward about 30 seconds, but the best part to me, Taylor Hawkins' son got up on the drums and played Hero with the Foo Fighters in tribute to his dad. And the best part about it is, one, it was great to see, but 
He's actually a phenomenal drummer at the age of 16. So check it out. If you haven't seen any of the clips, check them out. They're on YouTube or watch the whole uh, tribute. And I keep saying check them out. So just check it out. Check it out. Check it out. (laughs) That's a great tribute. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube or somewhere else, I am wearing the new Early Riser Rise Up Entertainment t-shirt from my label. It's called the Early Riser. If you're listening to this before October 1st, you could still pre-order this for 20% off. Otherwise, after October 1st, anytime, go to riseupent.net slash shop and get yourself an Early Riser t-shirt there. Limited edition. They're not going to come out like this again. This is a one-time only thing, so make sure you get a t-shirt while they last. They're going pretty quick. I will forewarn you. There's a back to it too, full logo, everything else on there. Check it out. If you want to see it quick and you're watching this on YouTube, check it out right here. If you're listening, go to riseupent.net slash shop, and that's Rise with a Z. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As stated in the intro, we have a very special artist on call for you today. It is Brewster Moonface from New York. They are a great band. They are hilarious. They have great personalities and great stories to tell. I can't wait for you guys to meet them here. If you're listening to this, this whole episode was recorded the Friday before it released. The only reason was I had to hit the road and uh, this past weekend, and I just didn't. It wasn't going to work out scheduling wise, so I had to pre-record this one. So obviously, the artist on call is pre-recorded before that. But just know if I missed anything, hit me up at musicmondays at mazeman.co on the email or hit me up on any of the socials. Let me know what I missed. Let me know what I'm doing horribly. But that being said, here it is: an all-new artist on call. Artist. On call. Artist on call. We are here with Brewster Moonface. Yeah. What is going on, guys? And girls. Hey, <laughs> How is everybody doing tonight? Doing great. Excellent, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be on the show today. Thanks for coming on. I dig that school of rock sign in the back. I don't know why I'm just noticing that now. That's pretty sick. So, yeah, that's his day job. Yeah, I was gonna, okay. I was gonna one say, of the locations. That's what I okay. Awesome. That's what I thought. Now, now I'm dying to know who's Brewster, who's Moonface. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> horrible joke. Tell me the story. Tell me everything. Like, what is Brewster Moonface? How did it become what it is today? Oh, uh, well, before Brewster, I was actually, I, I was in a rock band beforehand, and um, two of the members were kind of uh, interested in trying other uh, other uh, genres and stuff, um, and then uh, Jim here, he had been playing the blues some uh, some years ago, and also was thinking about getting back into it, 
So we decided to kind of uh, get together probably what, like six years ago, <laughs> kind of started off as like a jam session, uh, trying things out. And we really were liking how we sounded. And um, I had never done blues before. Uh, a bunch of the other members had never done blues before. And we just really liked it and kind of decided to keep going with it. And then um, decided to make it a band. And um, then it came time to naming the band. And people don't realize how hard it is because... With technology, everyone, you think of a great name and someone already has it. Someone already has an album name under it or something. So we just, we're going back and forth. Um, I was doing acting at the time. I had a casting director refer to someone very meanly as stocky moon face. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's very descriptive. <laughs> and we just kind of couldn't stop laughing over it. So jokingly, we called ourselves Stocky Moonface and like back and forth in emails, we would just keep changing up the words and stuff. And um, our bass player at the time signed one email with a Punky Brewster Moonface as a joke. And we were really just kind of looking for a name and we went, you know what, drop the Punky, keep the Brewster. And we decided on Brewster Moonface when we thought, oh, you know, we'll change it if we ever need to. But it just kind of stuck around and... Now we're Brewster Moonface. <laughs> so it really hey. was just a mean joke. Yeah, it was like a mean <laughs> joke with inside jokes combined. <laughs> well, I could tell nobody heard because I hit record after it happened, but there was constant jokes going on back and forth right before this recording anyways. So, you know, quoting Rodney Dangerfield, you know, it was it was great. So you can see the sense of humor is there. You know, however many times a week you guys get together, I'm sure it's a riot. That being said, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Go around, tell me your names. I know Julie, obviously. Uh, Zach. <laughs> Jim. Jeremy. Awesome. And where is everybody from? Is everybody from the same area or? No. Well, yeah. uh, I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Nice. Detroit, Michigan. Wow. Queens, New York. <laughs> and Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Nice. There's only one outcast in there. We're, well, yeah. We're, we're, we're all consistent. <laughs> I've been in New York 20 years now. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you're from here. Detroit. So, yeah. I mean, like, Detroit proper. So, <laughs> there's there's definitely street cred there. <laughs> yeah, well, and you, exactly. and you, guys have been, you guys have been performing around New York quite a bit, too. How's that going? Like, how, how do you like performing in New York and the music scene in New York? Love it. I mean, I, I mean, especially after having, you know, COVID shut everything down, it's been great just watching live shows come back, watching people being, uh, people are just really excited to be coming out and seeing live shows again. So it's, it's great seeing that energy from people, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to perform. I mean, Brewster, I think, is decidedly a live band. Um, you know, I mean, I guess of all these guys, I'm probably the rookie to the New York music scene. Jeremy, here's the veteran. I mean, what have you been doing live music in New York for? At least 50 years. 50 years. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, you know, I mean, I think music has a very regional sound. And I mean, I think we try to capture New York sound and you really can't make it anywhere but New York City to make the sound that sort of has that street vibe to it. And so I love performing here. I'm not performing anywhere, but it's it's a great vibe here. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And like Jim, I mean, you've seen you've seen the industry probably evolve quite a bit over the years. What's your what's your take on what it's looking like in New York right now based on the music scene? Me or him? Me or the old man? Uh, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mine, you know, I have problems and I, there's, I mean, like any era, there's advantages and disadvantages. I mean, technology has revolutionized things. You know, I wonder if we would get as much radio play or as much the ability to book the gigs as we do now. Yeah. But you know, the pay has taken a hit. There's just no way around it. You know, I mean, album sales and everything. We, our music is heard by a lot more people, but the revenues are way down with streaming. And I mean, I, I think that's just the nature of, of evolution. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, other phenomenons of things like cover bands, tribute bands, open mics, things. They've always been a bit of a phenomenon in the world. That's always a hard thing when you're kind of competing with those doing original music. But, you know, in the end, I mean, I think people just appreciate, you know, good music all around. And I mean, I think if you, if you bring it correct, you bring it honest and you, you bring it proper, 
um, people will appreciate it. And, and we've had pretty great response everywhere mm-hmm. we've gone. Um, you know, look at, I mean, you play live music, sometimes you're playing for three people in a very large hall. And then sometimes you're playing <laughs> for packed houses. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, the nights where it's, it's you and the staff. <laughs> yeah. but, but sometimes, I mean, it's just that sometimes even in those shows, you can have, uh, I've had shows where it's, you know, it is three people in the crowd and it's fantastic. And then you can have a show where it's, you know, 300 people and it's a dud. So that's the other part of music. It's always kind of, always uh, unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now the old man. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Would you agree with that? Like my take, I don't know. Tell me if you agree with this, but like, I feel like music is more, it's more cultivating now. I feel like uh, people are actually more open uh well i guess you could say more collaborative not cultivating it's always cultivating but um collaborative you know i could see musicians working together more now than i ever have before especially in the new york market would you say that by like your experience throughout the years well it's kind of hard to say because there's so many different aspects right of show business of live music and a lot of the ones that i've been part of were more commercial you know cover bands um soul bands where they're blues bands backing up other artists um so i'm not sure about that but i do think that what is true is that increasingly um the music itself tends to kind of come together and overlap a lot so i think what you're talking about collaborative efforts probably uh would support that that musicians who might be coming from different backgrounds end up meeting and finding a lot of things in common i think that's probably true these days absolutely absolutely now you guys have traveled the you know country performing together right yeah well this this actually is our um our newer uh rhythm section oh that's awesome (laughs) yeah so uh zach and jeremy here have actually they are the newbies of, of brewster right now so um, we're looking forward to having having more of the tour experiences that we have had of traveling around the country and stuff. That's so, that was definitely been, that's definitely a great time we had that. Absolutely. Zach and Jeremy, have you guys traveled the country quite a bit performing as well? Well, I've I've I not in recent times, but in my time, certainly I've uh, been on tour down south. Yeah. And I've done in a, you know, a one nighter in Cape Cod and that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But as far as, you know, extended, like, you know, youth tours that last for years or something like that. No, I've never really done that. But a taste of that, you kind of get a feeling like, mm, I'm not sure that this is for me. Because when you're doing that, you're basically not doing anything else. Yeah. In your life and sometimes in your music, unless you happen to be traveling with people who are very like-minded at, you know, a particular time. Basically, end up just trying to kill time. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be not that productive. and tends to degeneracy in truth yeah between 2008 no yeah 2003 2014 uh, mostly live nation venues. Um, and I couldn't even imagine being in the position to do that again nowadays. The industry is in such <laughs> right. a different spot. I'm physically in a different spot. <laughs> yeah. um, financially in a different spot. It was just a very different time. Um, yeah. But, you know, putting the miles on, uh, definitely played, you know, up and down the Atlantic coast, up and down the Pacific coast, um, you know, all through the Midwest uh down in texas did some stuff up in canada and you know looking forward to playing shows with this band but i think i think nowadays like touring really has to start in a more local spot and branch out and i think it also has to make more sense um as to why you're touring as jeremy touched on because i mean it's a it's a money burner it's a money burner yeah you know and um it's a lot of fun and I'm glad that I did it, but just personal note, you know, when I was doing that, I remember, I think I was talking to Julia about it when I was renting an apartment and I was home about maybe 40% of the year, 
And I was like living out of a suitcase when I was home and I was living out of a suitcase when I was on tour. And it was a very like weird limbo of kind of like, you can't settle into a home life. And you, when you're on the road, you want to be home. And when you're home, you miss being on the road. And I'm kind of glad to be out of that cycle right now. But this band has been getting a lot of just with the new rhythm section, a lot of positive feedback as well. And I think that we do need to get on the road. Right. uh, It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I agree based on what I've heard, you know, and like, what would you say? Like, I know this is like a little redundant. I'm just bending on, you know, the touring (laughs) subject, but like, what would you say is like your favorite place that you perform? Like it could be state venue, whatever, um, throughout the years of your experience, you starting on the left. Oh, mine is definitely going to be Westport Saloon, Kansas city. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we got to do, yeah, we did a little, little tour out there um a few years ago and it was it was really great never been never been to kansas city before um so it was just cute cute town in general and then got to the westport saloon uh ran by only this guy travis he was just awesome he had a great great spirit for musicians great um feeling to like the place was just so high energy tons of people and also not just in in terms of tons of people like just every kind of like demographic of people it very much felt like kind of this is where everyone came to hang out like not just a specific group not just people like people you think normally you know growing up in new york there's so many options for people to do and you're used to people just walking by the music club with no interest and it was just great to kind of uh, watch myself looking at people like oh they're not going to come in here and they're like oh really they're here to see some like blues and bluegrass and you know yeah and um it was just super super fun show uh, i was like great audience and it was just like really fun time all around and it was just nice to feel in an environment where you could tell that like the artists were just really like supported and everyone was just a big fan of live music. It was just great to see them people taking a chance on bands who are doing original music because that is hard. You do get a lot of people who will say, Oh, you know, you guys should do more covers. You should do this. So it's really nice when people want to take a chance on your music because I mean, all, all the legends we all loved at one point, you know, someone took a chance on their original song. So it's really nice when people do the same. Absolutely. Jeremy. No, it's okay. I think I'll catch it. <laughs> <laughs> Too many years. I mean, June may have stolen my answer. Although <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Portland, Maine. Oh, with yeah. this band, I, I had a lot of fun in Portland, Maine. And that here, was, I, and here, I thought he was gonna say Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of fun playing music in Detroit, Michigan. Um, you know, once those warrants expire, I might go back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know. Um, <laughs> No, but I mean, honestly, you know, Kansas City was this place that definitely hit us by surprise. We, we had a lot of fun in Baton Rouge. We had a lot of fun in Texas. Um, Virginia, we had a lot of fun. But um, Portland, Maine really caught me off guard. Um, it was just a really wild town. Um, same sort of vibe there. And the, the venue really struck me as, I forgot the name of it. And that's just... Oh, Blue. 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 Yeah. The place called Blue. Um, hmm. Really just, it was a book anything type venue. And um, the only thing, like, the only regret I had was, is that, I mean, for a kid from Detroit, you'd think cold would be something I'd be used to, but (laughs) Portland in February was pretty damn cold. Um, But other than that, I I mean, that would be the one that caught me. Zach? Um, I think for this band, I would love to play some of the places like the Maryland, D.C., Virginia areas that I've. I've been down there with a bunch of different outfits and like Julie was saying, they, they go out on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays and they check out original music. You know, they're not, they're not doing the DJ thing. They're doing the, the live band thing. Um, I think that a band like this would just be so well received down there, you know, um, Maryland, DC, Virginia, uh, Texas. Love it. One of the one of the venues that caught me by surprise was I was in Tempe, Arizona, played a place called the Marquee Theater. And it was just like I thought it was going to be a hole in the wall show. And it was probably filled up maybe a little over half capacity. It was like maybe an Irving size venue, maybe 1200. But just the energy in the room and just like the welcome, the welcomeness to all like the East Coast bands that were playing was just incredible. Um, I really had a good experience there. Um, and I would say pretty much not to shit talk New York, but I mean, like my, my experience with live music, people liking it 
New York would probably be on the bottom of the list of most accepting. You know, I mean, yeah. every other state. I'm going down the list. I'm going up the list. Atlantic coast, Florida, the Carolinas, D.C., mm. Virginia, Maryland. All those places really like live music. You go yeah. up to Boston, they're even open to live music on the weekends. I, no, I totally agree. And I then mean, you're just in New York, and it's like, yeah. what happened? Even Jersey, they love oh, live yeah. music. Oh, even, no, the, the amount of times I feel like this band has even been told, we're kind of like, oh, you're too loud. And then you see they booked a DJ. And I'm like, DJs have subwoofers <laughs> and they speak. Yeah. And it's like, and it, but New York does do that of kind of like, I get it. You just want to pay for one person, kind of, yeah. you know. And I think the fact that there is so many options here, it's hard to get that kind Overload, of... Yeah live music culture that other cities have that's yeah. why i like that's why i like seeing musicians like anywhere new york connecticut like new england area working together because like <laughs> especially in new york because it's like that market is hard to tap into like you're saying oh, yeah. you know like like the fans are hard to get in new york you know <laughs> but it's like it's so funny but like the bands that collaborate and stuff they have the better reach you know because they're actually tapping off each other's markets and you know kind of sharing and like that's what I like to see. And I feel like those are the types of markets we need to see more of that because of, you know, that type of fan base. <laughs> well, that's where I think technology and social media is a good, uh, you know, pro for musicians in that way, because there have been ways that that's how we have gotten gigs where, you know, you have a, a band that's visiting from nearby and then you tell them about the venue. We had one band from Seattle staying with us for a bit. They just needed some place to crash and stuff. And it, you do kind of do some kind of like, barter and trade along the way with other musicians which uh, i do like that aspect and that's that social media has made that um given a lot more opportunity for that i do feel like we wouldn't have played in the places we've played if we didn't have social media if we weren't able to have people be able to see and hear our music you know instead of just kind of blindly guessing and stuff so and that way i think technology has kind of created a positive um musicians gathering and, and uh, collaborating together. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Now tell me a little bit about this song that is the ballad of <laughs> drum roll, the ballad of Danny Gatton. <laughs> That's the one you picked. <laughs> <laughs> A song, I, uh, okay, I mean, Danny Gatton was a great, great guitar player, actually, out of Maryland. Um, he was the guy who taught the man who taught me how to play guitar. Um, wow. He was, he was, uh, he's, he's out there. I mean, look, I encourage anybody listening, anybody out there to look up Danny Gatton's music, man. He had about four or five albums. He unfortunately passed um, due to suicide. Um, you know, put that trigger warning that I see everywhere on your, on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. help, uh, do that. Um, but Danny was possibly, he was, he, he invented a form of, of music they called a redneck jazz, but he was a jazz bluegrass country blues type guitar picker. And actually what he was famous for at a club called the crossroads in Maryland, I don't think it's there anymore, but it was called challenge Danny Gatton. And um, guitar players would come and one by one, they would sort of like have a guitar off with them. And I guess if you won, you drank for free. And one after another, nobody would be able to take down Danny. And he really was a sensational player. He never quite got the recognition he deserved. And I mean, I remember when he passed, it was all of, it was all over the guitar magazines. I was quite young and my teacher was obviously very broken up about it. Um, and so I figured we ought to write a, um, he never got a requiem. You know, it's a sort of, it's a funeral mass. And so, and I also figured he wouldn't like a real particularly sad song. So I had to do something up tempo for it. But it's one of those songs um, that I always, well, you'll you'll hear it. We'll talk about it after. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's sort of the saga of the song I wrote for Danny Gatton. Um, so, yeah. And that's Julie loves it. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And you know, it's funny because I, I listened to a little bit of you guys before I, you know, had you on here tonight. But this or it'll be this morning when this airs my bad but the uh but this song i haven't listened to yet you know any song that gets played on the podcast i don't listen to because i like to give like a fresh you know fresh view of it and everything so we're gonna get right into the ballad of danny gatton right here with brewster moonface and then i know you're dying to know more about this group so we're gonna get right back into it with them right here the ballad of danny Gatton. <laughs>
Was the ballad of Danny Gatton by <laughs> the Brewster Moonface? You can find that on all the major digital streaming platforms. That was dope, and I don't know how that. I mean, that had to kill in Baton Rouge. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah they, they definitely like that style coming on. We had that—that's a song that gets people up and dancing, which I, I really like about it. Absolutely, yeah, that's like, a popular one. Yeah, like I didn't expect it to kick up like that. Like that was an awesome <laughs> transition. I was like, "Whoa, that that caught me by surprise." I love that. That's always the one that catches yeah. me, though. Like, because like what happens is, is I always take that. It's like I always take that faster than I can actually play. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I always because I have to do the transition. I'm so used to following the bass and drum, and I always end up having to lead that one. So these guys <laughs> are always good enough to just play at any speed. And then I realize, like. Oh man, I'm in a much faster tempo than I can handle. But you know, we get through it. Yeah, the kind of snowball performance. You're like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, yeah, I gotta get a click track or something. Well, it's funny because like you guys, like I, I read a little bit about your stories and stuff involved, and it's like it's they scream blues, you know, like everything about you guys totally like it wouldn't make sense in any other genre. Now, that being said, is like everybody like involved with the writing process or is it more someone versus the other? It's kind of different for different songs. I, um, there's been a couple where um, someone like like either me or Jim or, or we had some of like our old drummer or stuff like the, well, they'll come with um, almost like a complete song sometimes. But a lot of times I do feel it's kind of um, someone has a riff idea or someone has a song idea. And I'll usually kind of get like an idea of lyrics for it. So I do feel a lot of our songs are kind of, um, <laughs> I, I, they're kind of like transformers. I feel like everyone kind of like it adds a little like piece to them. And the song kind of grows as, as you go over it, as you get um, new ideas for it. I mean, even with, I would say like, with, you know, even with Zach and Jeremy here, you know, we have songs that, you know, me and Jim have been doing, you know, since the beginning of Brewster and even just getting, uh, two new people in the band, you still get new ideas. We're still switching up uh, certain things on songs, you know, uh, volume or tones or uh, transition and stuff. And um, so, yeah, we tr we keep it pretty malleable. And I, I feel like everyone kind of contributes um, their own little piece to it. Uh, if you ha if you have a song that that's kind of all completed and ready to go, absolutely, we'll try it out. But I do feel a lot of times it is kind of a a piece by piece making. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And like that song, like where did you record that one? The Ballad of Danny Gadden? Oh, that was at uh, Nova Studios in uh, Staten Island by uh, Jerry Farley, who he's recorded both of our albums that we have. Uh, he's a really big uh, music guy in South, in South Brooklyn. Uh, we play a lot at his uh, Coney Island shows at the Coney Island Brewery. He's been in the music scene for a while now, you know, um, and we've just become good friends. And so he had uh, a gig set up at Nova Studios on Staten Island, which beautiful place. It's it's a mansion, different like estate areas in it. Very gorgeous. Um, and that album, we actually recorded it uh, live. So that was that was that was fun and tough because we had to all this all the songs. There was no starting and stopping. We just had to. 
record the whole yeah. thing without tracking. And um, yeah, I mean, it was really fun. We were playing it. They were playing in the living room. And I was, I was singing in the kitchen. <laughs> that's, how we were, that's how we were set up in the area that we that's had. When- and Jerry was uh, underneath in the recording studio getting everything down <laughs> that's when all that experience and discipline comes into play in a moment like that you know where it's like you gotta you gotta hit it right this one time that's it oh you know? heck yeah and and i and i grew up doing um musical theater i went to musical theater school so i was like oh yeah i'm definitely used to, used to teachers being like you get it perfect now at every time <laughs> yeah. so i was like all right i could feel the kind of all of them on my shoulders a bit during it one thing I mean about writing process you brought up, and even about recording, man, I, I, if I'm not going to do a song, I mean, you know, we're going to actually work on a song Jeremy brought us after, after this is done tonight. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, I prefer to just have the right musicians and maybe an outline of something, you know, and it's let the musicians do the work. You know, I don't like to be too set in stone on anything because if you have guys who are talented enough or, or have the experience enough, the song will take shape if you have the right framework, in my opinion. And, you know, I I would never come in with the baseline for Jeremy to do or tell Zach exactly what I want on drums. I figure they're creative guys enough and, and have enough experience to figure out exactly what it's going to be. At least that's my theory on it. And that's how our songs have taken shape. And as for the studio, I think it works the same way, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I, there's, a, there's this kind of this new trend I've been seeing, and... You know, I don't like to be an old guy who puts down anything. And, um, you know, I don't... Uh, <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the radio, man. <laughs> you know, like, let, me, let me have an illusion here. But, um, you know, like, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just 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 the Yankees. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, it's... Um, no, but I, I don't... But I see a lot of bands, they, they go right kind of to the studio after they just start getting together. And I actually think the studio is something that should kind of come after the discipline of playing a lot and a performance mm-hmm. and that that i mean you know our second album we didn't do live we tracked it but um you know I, at least that's my theory on it is is that you know you really want to you really want to get to know each other very well and you really want to develop and see where a song is going to develop over time and it's funny because you know the the second album we made with the different rhythm section and then you know jeremy and zach joined our group and the songs that we only recorded a few months ago are already taking a different shape that we mm-hmm. love. <laughs> wow. That's the way it should be. And, and that's, you know, every musician that comes and goes in a group, I feel sort of adds their own fingerprint. It's like, it's like a family member. At least that's my theory on it. And that's the way I like it to go. Well, it's like, it's, it, well, that's right. it's almost like, like a uh, like family recipe, kind of like everyone comes along and you kind of add your own ingredient to it. And we, and we like to encourage that aspect of it because I do agree with Jim of like everyone kind of immediately jumping in the studio and I I do think you you get a better bonding as a band when you do live shows because you do have those singular swim moments you know and Jim yeah. talks about you know taking off too fast in a song there is a kind of uh bonding thing that oh but we all pulled it off you know we were able to we were able to do it it's nice to know you know if you get lost in a song that, you know, your, your bass player's got you or your drummer's got you back on cue. And there is something kind of, um, it does create a certain chemistry to the band as well. And then, I mean, everything affects music, whether we know it, you know, consciously or not. So I think those experiences actually do add to the songs. Well, and it all comes to, like back to like today's industry, you know, and I feel like that's what separates the old industry from the new industry too. Like, you had the old musicians that were just musicians, you know, they were just, it was just a guitarist or just a bassist, if anything. Now you have, you know, DJs that are producers, guitarists that also DJ, that also drum, you know, <laughs> and it's like that also, you know, engineer and everything. So it's like, it's all about like knowing your roles. And I feel like you guys are a great representation of chemistry because you guys, it's not even about knowing your roles you know where you want to be and you know what you want to allow, which is great because that's the collaborative, you know, effect that we were speaking of earlier. Now, what would you like to see more of? Like, obviously we were talking about the music industry earlier. What would each of you like to see more of in today's industry that you don't see? Less bringer shows. (laughs) (laughs) Less bringer shows. So for people not in it, Bringer shows are basically you have to bring people in order to pay. And a lot, and unfortunately, that's what I mean about like the music scene in New York. I do feel is unfortunately played with a lot of places that are kind of putting it 
all on the musician to, you know, um, fill a venue and stuff. And it is kind of one of those, it's like having a first job, like you need experience to get experience kind of thing. You're like, we're trying to build up our band, you know, um, a lot of places. Oh, you mean you can't bring, you know, 40 people to this place on a Tuesday night at 11 o'clock. You yeah. know? And then they do a lot of deals of, you know, oh, the first 10 people we get paid for, and then we split half the door. So Oh, you know, and it's a shame because a lot of these these venues I, I would love to play at and stuff. And yeah. um, I just I, I really wish that that would kind of cut cut down more. And that venues, as I said, would just take a bit of more of a chance on bands and yeah. and give them the chance before. Because what happens on those live shows, bringer shows, is you mostly just end up with bands that perform two two times a year, so they can bring that amount of people. But right. it doesn't really help working bands or you know bands that are trying to tour and move up it's just kind of a blockade for us well, it's like the musicians are the reason that most of these venues are even making money you know so it's like and, and <laughs> yeah general, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be paid from the musicians it's from the people the musicians bring it's that is ridiculous like what about you jeremy <laughs> well i'll go to the other end of the business and say i think uh over in recent decades you know these at the top level the skill of some of the musicians is like beyond belief. You <laughs> continually see things, you go like, well, I didn't want to have thought that was possible. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, you're not wanting to sound just old, but there seems to have been lost in that process of skill a lot of the soulfulness, which is the reason that people listen to music in the first place, so that even though the skill in the last few decades is off the charts, really how much stuff is things that strike you as timeless that are going to be with humanity as long as humanity exists and that kind of thing. And more, it's just like, wow, that's really great, uh, but it doesn't move me. And to me, if it doesn't move you, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, great. Wow. What am I supposed to say? Money. We need more money. Good yeah. Pay, pay your artists. I mean, it is kind of ridiculous. People, if, you know, you know, think about the pandemic and what got you through. It's music and movies and books and CD and um, it's like it's it's artists and creative people who are who are doing this. And I think it does need to be seen as a trade. Pay people properly for the work they do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what I've noticed is that a lot of people think that musicians and artists in general. Um, they just do their art and like they just people tend not to think about how is this person going to pay their bills? Right. How is this person yeah. going to pay their car insurance? How is this person going to like feed themselves every day? It's like, you know, we do this because we love it and we walk this road because it's a labor of love. But also we also like everybody else. The intention isn't to do it for free and have no money at the end of the day. Like the intention is to do it and put your all into it like anybody, any tradesman. Right. And to go home with a fair day's pay. And that is something that I think is kind of lost. You know, oh, the music, they're, they're doing what they love. Isn't that great? You know, like, let me not pay them. Like, that's great. But they love it. They're doing what they love. And that doesn't pay the bills, frankly. Um, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's My like, landlord yeah. will not accept that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you love it, but it's still work. Like, it's not, yeah. it's, it's not like it's effortless just because you love it. Yeah, would you tell like a like a carpenter like that's an excellent yeah. job? I can see you're loving what you do. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll have a great day. Like, yeah. 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 So that's me. No. And, you know, and I, it's. I mean, those guys said it all. I mean, really, you know, it's. Yeah, man. You know, I'm not even sure I have an answer beyond those. I mean, those are all those are all dead on answers. I mean, I certainly would love to see more of this i'd love to see more people talk about things like this you know um you know there's there is music is certainly a hobby for a lot of people i mean music should be in every single school music should be part of the government's discussion as something that should be preserved not something that should be cut yeah but um you know at the same time you know i think also we as as people need to remember that like there are things that are timeless out there. There are things that we really do do remember. I mean, you know, I, I, and, and, you know, what, what is important to us. And, and I also think that, you know, we need to try and build each other up as musicians as much as possible. We also need to kind of 
keep that line between the amateur and the professional a little bit more. But yeah, it's all I can really. But you know, I mean, you know, it's just the way I think of it. Sometimes, you know, it's it's I I. I but that's that's the only thing I can really think of to say at this particular point. These guys said it all. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or I guess, or I guess, uh, another one. Also, stop telling musicians if you like their stuff that they should try out for reality TV shows, and just you can <laughs> oh, buy their T-shirts, you can buy their merch. Right. We're out there already doing it, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, because people don't realize. I, I I know it's meant with the best intentions. I know it's meant absolutely as a compliment, but I think people forget the kind of reality TV aspect that's thrown into that show, those shows, and absolutely. the parts that you just don't see behind the scenes. So it's very easy to get fooled by it. But, um, yeah, I think I, I, I know me and a lot of my friends still have like the same kind of thing. And it's like, you know what, we have material out there and just kind of support what people are doing now. And that helps more. Absolutely. You know, it only, it just sucks because you know, the streaming platforms we're all distributing on nowadays aren't really paying what they should. You know, it sucks because platforms like Spotify are great platforms. I love mm-hmm. it. You know, uh, Apple music, I love them all, you know, but it's just like, how are they paying musicians? like pennies and they're making like it's it's insane you know obviously the bigger companies behind it make money but it's just like i don't understand how that's still going on you know so that being said what platforms have you guys really found the most success on as you know bruce or moonface well i mean you know the one it's always it's always so hard because like you know I really hate to like, you know, rah, rah, any corporation and, and you know, without, <laughs> yeah, right. without strong incentive, but, um, right. yeah, <laughs> which I don't have. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, the ones that we seem to, the ones that seem to pay the best revenue has actually been the iTunes downloads and the Apple music. Yeah. Uh, the ones we hit the highest profit margins on are the direct sale of the CDs. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. You know, I, I encourage people whenever you can buy off Bandcamp. That's been yes. obviously the highest profit margins. Um, or you know, come to our shows and buy directly from us is obviously the best ones. Um, but you know, I find that Spotify is among the lowest, even though that seems to be the one that actually is the most popular. So we get right. the most downloads from it, but it actually sort of pays out the least revenue. Amazon Music is right in the middle. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones that I think sometimes are just making up words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I don't like, know what a, what a teaser is. <laughs> so, well, yeah, me neither. I don't even know why that one's on there. But the uh, the the CDs are actually selling for you guys then. Like that's actually like CDs are still in then you would say? Well, the advantage of being a, a blues band is, is you tend to get an older fan base. Who still right. CD Demographically, players. yeah. <laughs> yep. so. Yeah. That is true. I'd well, love to print some records, but the, the the cost to actually press a record is so high. It's yeah, just, I've, been, I've been reluctant, so that may be in the future. But yeah, I'm definitely yeah. envious. I'm envious of the uh, labels that are going like totally carbon neutral with it too. Like I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool. You know, yeah. but I couldn't even imagine what the upfront cost on that and the whole you know logistics of it is. That's probably such a pain. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> So what do you guys yeah. have coming up sometime soon? Like what's going on like this winter? Do you guys have anything planned? What's going uh, on? Yeah, we have a couple shows that are going to be going on. Um, so we have uh next one that's going to be coming up is October 1st, Saturday. And it's at a place uh, it's called Queens Night Market. It's Queens uh, International Night Market up in uh, Flushing Park, Queens. Really, uh, Flushing Meadow, uh, Queens. Flushing Meadow, Queens. And um, it's really really uh great um just place to try all sorts of food they got live music going on it's just a great kind of uh day out uh, i mean a night out kind of thing it's night hours and um it's one of our favorite gigs to play uh they've been uh building up for the past few years and now it's really getting you know up to like 10,000 people a week coming so uh it's been it's been great watching that grow uh so that's october 1st um, then we're also going to be playing at the New York City Marathon again uh, this year in November. I think that's November uh, 5th. It's a Sunday. So we're actually going to be playing down in Brooklyn at Mile Marker 2, 86th Street and 4th Avenue. Uh, then we have going on um, in November 12th, we're going to be playing at Silvana in the city. And then um, to be announced, we're going to be playing a show in Staten Island for Maker Park Radio in November, but that's to be announced uh, time-wise. 
And then the last one we have is December 17th at the Shrine up in Harlem. So we got about four or five shows coming up for the next, uh, next few months. That's amazing. No, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you guys live. I advise everybody else, go see them. You can find them at BrewsterMoonface.com or at BrewsterMoonface on any of the social handles. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the Music Mondays podcast. And I look forward to hearing more from you soon. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Same to you. Thanks for having us. Do not forget to follow them wherever you can. Go listen to all their music. It's so diverse. Every song is totally different. You want to check them out on all the streaming platforms. That being said, I'm keeping this episode short and sweet for you this month. If I missed anything, please let me know or check this podcast out at musicmondayspodcast.com for more info. Otherwise, follow it on YouTube. I put all the clips and everything on there. If you haven't seen any videos, you'll see them there. Otherwise, thank you for listening on audio, wherever you're listening. And thank you for watching until next month. Two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.